You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the show tonight, Anne Maher and Brendan O'Brien will be in the studio to talk about the second Weston A. Price Foundation Conference, Wise Traditions. The Restaurant Association of Ireland's Chief Executive, Adrian Cummins, will be discussing the 2016 Restaurant Awards and... Jean Smullen will provide an insight into the upcoming Australia Day wine tasting event that takes place in Dublin next week on Wednesday the 27th of January. If you'd like to get in touch with me, please drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. Now, the first guests of the show were here around the same time last year to talk to us about the first Weston A. Price Foundation Wise Traditions Ireland Conference that was held in Limerick's Tomond Park. Anne and Brendan are back this evening as it's set to return again. So last year clearly went well and was well received. Let's find out more about what to expect from the 2016 event. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Brendan and Anne, you're very welcome to the studio this evening and you're going to tell us about the Wise Traditions in Food, Farming and Healing Arts conference that's taking place in Tomond Park next month. And this is the second year of the conference, Brandon, so it was obviously a resounding success last year. Yeah, fabulous success. I mean, it, the, the, we were just looking at the, the old video that was taken of it and I just got all the butterflies in my stomach again. It was just a fabulous event to be at. I think we had... 350 people there on each of two days and they came from six or seven different countries it was just amazing I actually couldn't believe it I mean I had my doubts when we were setting it up if it was going to really happen and the days were just brilliant and you were one of the driving forces behind it last year and you're back again so you obviously believe in it greatly oh absolutely no it it is a something I certainly believe in doing because I think we get a lot of misinformation about nutrition and diet. And when I came across the Western Price Foundation, this made an awful lot of sense to me because the foundation itself encourages people to go back to more traditional eating. So foods that we would have forgotten about or were not as interested in in recent years, such as uh, high fat foods, for example, the black puddings, the offal meats, the lards, the drippings, bone broths, all of these home-cooked foods, we have learned how utterly nutritious they are. And um, one of the things that I've been really passionate about is trying to bring this information to the community. And when we had the opportunity to create a conference, I just went with it. And I knew with the team of Brendan and Deirdre and Caroline, they believed in it too. And... uh, In a way, I kind of knew what was ahead of us in terms of organising it. But um, in order to get it out to more and more people, you really have to go big. Now, I have to say we didn't have a bean to start off with. But we had a belief, which was enough to keep us going. But we were amazed with just how popular it went. And it's fantastic to the fallout that happened as a result of the previous conference. And I do remember saying to... Brendan and Dee and Caroline after it I said you do realise this isn't the end this is just the beginning (laughs) and they said give us a month or two to get over it and we'll talk again but you're back this year Brendan and you have a whole series of different speakers this year we have yeah we've got speakers coming from England and well I should say Switzerland but actually she's living in Ireland um, Patricia Daly 
Um, Malcolm Kendrick is a Scottish doctor. He's an MD. Uh, he's written a book on uh, the great cholesterol con. He's speaking on the misunderstandings we have about cholesterol and in particular cholesterol medication. That's his expert area. And he's talking on Sunday about an alternative hypothesis on heart disease, which I'm very interested in hearing. Um, our big speaker, if you like, in terms of worldwide popularity is Nina Techholz, and she's a New York Times bestseller. She's written the book called... The Big Fat Surprise. The Big Fat Surprise. And um, she's taking a hammering, actually, around the world, and she defends herself really well. It's very interesting to watch some of her, her interviews, but uh, the book has gone down so well with people, and it's absolutely... It, it almost as if she could it could have been written for the Western Price Organization. It's a, it's a really good book, and it's really well written. So she's talking, basically, that fat is good... Essentially, she is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was an investigative, I presume she still is an investigative journalist, who looked, and she was a food writer. Actually, that was her background. But she started to um, look into the whole area of the low-fat studies. And so she's given a whole historical context of those and where they fit, and she gives a very, very strong arguments for why we have lost the plot by advising people to eat low-fat. And as Brendan said, she is defending herself uh, very robustly now in terms of the dietary guidelines have just been revised and published again in the States. So while cholesterol is not so much um, emphasized this time, but they're still emphasizing the importance of lower fat in the diet. So she is... um, going to be a very interesting speaker. I'm personally delighted to get her. Mm. And uh, so hopefully on a personal level that would make people think about what guidelines we are following in Ireland. What I found very interesting about her book, she puts it in historical context. So you actually see the thinking at the time when the guidelines were formed in America. And you can see in hindsight um, where the errors came in. And she points that out. Now, you know, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. You may not have seen that on the day. So, you know, maybe they can get a bit of a pass. But in hindsight, you can see the errors and it makes so much sense that we took a wrong path and we went away from good traditional fat. And of course, that spawned the industry of fake fat, which I could use a stronger term, but it's poisoning us. Mm. And also, when you take fat away from food, you take the flavor and you have to substitute that. So sugar became the perfect vacuum or filled the perfect vacuum. And we've just had a recent TV um, program about the dangers of sugar. And to be perfectly honest, I'm sure it's not news to everyone. But having said that, they didn't realize the extent. They didn't realize the extent of the damage it was going to do. And we are facing a huge crisis in terms of obesity mm. and um, diabetes. Now, I'm old enough to remember going to the States when I, in the 80s. And I remember being absolutely <coughs> amazed when I saw an overweight person. It just blew me away. I was 19 at the time. Well, and it, whereas now it's just so normal. But it was culture. probably more than an overweight person. Would it, would it have been an obese person? As yes, to but in high, I knew, I know um, how amazed I was because I had a diary with me and I drew the person. <laughs> and <laughs> But the point was, uh, when I think back to that picture, they weren't that overweight. Okay. I've seen bigger since, you know. Yes. Um, but yeah. the point is that this has really changed our culture, our population's health. But in any case, um, the speakers that we have at the conference, the main focus is the importance of fats. And if we can change that message, I feel that it's worth all the effort that we're putting in. Like we're putting in a lot of hours and commitment into trying to drive this again. I mean, um, I, I think the, the sugar message is strong enough. I think people get the sugar message. 
Now, you can get it intellectually and you can get it emotionally, and there are two different ways of getting it. And I think emotionally, there's still some ways to go. But the fat message is, isn't really getting through enough, and that's really why we're pushing this. The fat message, as in fat isn't the bad thing you think it is. It's actually essential for good health. One of the speakers is the founder of the Western Price Foundation. Well, she was there last year, Sally Fallon, and we were delighted to have her last year again uh, headlining the conference and she spoke fantastically about it. Um, Sally isn't available to speak with us this year. She's busy writing yet another book, but she's in constant contact with us and she's fantastic, a, a great support. But another speaker that was there last year is the Dr. John McKenna. And you were telling me he's actually coming this year as a delegate. That's right. That's right. Dr. McKenna was um, a doctor that spoke about the danger of antibiotics last year. Now, a lot of speakers or a lot of people who were at the conference last year have told me that they found his talk very, very um, interesting and moving. But definitely... um, Dr. McKenna is very interested in what we're doing. He would be well known for a lot of patients that he would have had that maybe the mainstream medicine would have failed them in certain ways. And Dr. McKenna would have thought a little bit differently about problems that uh, families would have had in terms of their diet and would have certainly looked towards the gut health point of view. And he, again, would be a strong advocate for the importance of fats in the diet. He worked a lot in South Africa and um, has a very broad range of knowledge. But I'm delighted to hear that he's coming back as a as a guest and we'd be I'm just hoping he won't be too swamped on the day, to be honest. Both people asking him questions. Yeah, yeah. No, he was. He was kept very busy after his talk last year. Yeah, he was. And Doreen Allen is back this year as a delegate. She opened it last year. And not to confuse people, you have another, a different John McKenna, an Irish John McKenna, (laughs) opening it this year. Poor John. Um, Between John and Dr. John. Yes, um, Doreen is here, is coming back to visit for uh, one of the days as well. And again, a very strong advocate for what we're doing. So, um, but we've asked John McKenna from the McKenna's Guides to come and open up the conference and we've had minis a chat about what what we're trying to aim for as well and he would be again a strong advocate for the importance of good traditional foods and good traditional farming practices so we feel it's a nice fit in terms of what we're doing but it's important as well you know it's one thing to organize the first conference but the second conference where we were saying well really what message are we trying to get and who is on that message and who can we get to speak in those um, on those lines but another speaker Brendan can talk about is a lady called Patricia Daly and she's got a very interesting yeah. talk in terms of fats yeah, she, well. she, 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 um, advocates is she Swiss no you said she's a Swiss native she is Swiss. Yeah. Uh, it's not a, a very Swiss name is it no she's married to an Irish guy <laughs> okay, uh, so we right. own her now Okay. and uh, <laughs> she's got children and living in Dublin and uh, she works as a nutrition therapist uh, she's a former um, high level athlete as well so she's actually written two books um, both on the ketogenic diet one for cancer which she had she had ocular cancer in the eye and she has another book actually on um, sporting performance long distance running and triathlons and that kind of stuff using the ketogenic diet and that's actually fascinating for and that's a growing interest area too um, I won't get into it now but her main story really was cancer and she's speaking about cancer and uh, she was given the all clear on her own uh, ocular melanoma that she had uh, a full all clear not so long ago but she's more or less got the all clear except for a tiny amount for the last I think two years and uh, it didn't turn around until she went on this ketogenic diet. She, talk about mind change, she went from a high carb, 
um, carb loading athlete to realizing this is what was causing the problem and she turned and she became a ketogenic diet advocate which is a high fat diet and uh, it's funny when you say high fat diet if you saw a picture of it on a plate it would look like a delicious you know steak and you could have a salad there and vegetables and you wouldn't and maybe there might be butter on the steak or something and you think that looks lovely but actually when you break it down it's 80 percent fat and calories it's amazing and because um, you know fat fat is in a small area it takes up a lot of calories but uh, so she'll be speaking there I'm actually really looking forward to that and I think a lot of people that I know are coming because they want to hear her because it's cancer is a very emotive issue yeah so there's also Philip Weeks uh, I want to just sorry, ask you one sorry. more thing there about that diet because Patricia yeah. obviously attributes the cure of <coughs> cancer to the change in diet and a lot of cancer patients might tend to go for juicing and detoxing whenever it comes to a change in diet but yeah. this is the complete opposite of that it's the complete opposite it's a different form uh, it's a different form of clean diet if you like it's still <laughs> it's a clean diet but we tend to think of clean diets as fruit and veg and juice and detoxing and stuff like that it's it's not that um, in fact she monitors her blood sugar and insulin levels on, a, on an almost daily basis and even having small amounts of juice can raise the blood sugar I won't get into the technicality of it, but in brief, the diet she's on maintains a certain low level of insulin, and this allows good stuff to happen to help the body overcome the uh, the cancer. Yeah, so it, it's uh, it's kind of, you might think of it as the opposite. I guess it's not the opposite. It's more like a parallel uh, version of what you normally hear about for for uh, cancer. So it's, uh, it's an eye-opener for some people. And the other person then you were going to tell us about? Uh, there's two other people actually. Um, Natasha Campbell McBride, Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride, who spoke last year and got a standing ovation for her, her gut health talk, is talking on gut health again. That's her speciality. And she's a neurologist actually. And uh, she's also speaking on pregnancy and preconception diets. Which I is think that'll be very popular. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, absolutely. And we feel... What's nice about this conference, we're kind of touching all ages. We're talking about uh, pregnancy, small children, um, adults, and, you know, older people as such. We're trying to catch them all all as such. But basically, we need to eat fat. It's quite simple. And uh, interestingly enough, you know, if you do walk around the supermarket, often you see a lot of people filling their trolleys with a lot of sweet foods, but then lots of low-fat options then and it's I cringe I absolutely cringe I have to say mm-hmm. but then a supermarket happens to be as I say a bit of an obstacle course of sugar at the same time and you were talking about the the sugar um, sugar crash program and operation transformation is on at the moment as well and I think they're all good at educating people and yogurt is one of these products that a lot of families would have in their fridge because of the children and calcium and lunch boxes and you actually think it is quite a good food but it's very high in sugar and you actually have told me in the past um, that you can make yogurt so simply at home. Absolutely. And one of the things that I suppose over the years, I, I've learned it quite a few years ago, but again, through the Western A. Price Foundation, there would be a lot of information about fermenting of foods and how valuable that is for your gut health. But to make yogurt is one of the simplest things ever. And uh, for a lot of people, they find it kind of amazing that it is so simple because Yogurt, as you say, is a mainstay for a lot of children, and in many ways, it is a it's a, nearly a toxic food because it is so sugary. But in order to make sh- yogurt, all you really need to do is to get warm some milk, 
preferably raw milk if you can get it. We would be very strong advocates for that. But that you get a a tablespoon of a natural plain yogurt. The plainer you can get it. So, for example, something like McDonald's or or the Glenisk plain yogurts, full fat. And just put that into the warm milk and leave it in a warm place for 24 hours, covered. And once you have that yoghurt, then you have a starter for, for the next batch. Keep some of it yes. and keep adding yes. it and, and making yoghurt moving into and the future. You know, it may not be exactly the same consistency as you would buy it. Like there aren't, you can you can make it thicker by straining it and you can have whey as, as another additive to use in your diet. But again, all this knowledge I would have learned through the Weston A. Price Foundation. And interestingly enough, I was taught as a home economics teacher, so I would have had a strong nutrition background and I went on to do a master's in public health nutrition. But I learned very little about fermentation. And I think that's a a really key area which has become very popular now. But in terms of gut health, it's a key factor in in getting your gut to work properly again. And uh, stuff I wish I had been taught but I'm certainly making up for lost time. Well, fermentation is one of those topics that you'll come across at most of the food festivals now. Yeah. There's yes, a workshop or a talk trendy, or something. It's very trendy, bang on trend Absolutely. now. Absolutely, <laughs> and we're very lucky that we do have Valerie O'Connor in right. Limerick City, who is, is, I suppose, the Limerick expert on mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yes, Valerie um, realised, even from the conference last year, just how important this was, and... Um, fair play to her she's really gone into it in a big way and I believe she's writing a book about it as well so all of these are useful resources for people and just making it normal for people well coming back to the conference you've told us a good bit about the various different speakers and the subjects that are going to be covered people it's an auditorium style event where they listen but there are sessions in between where they can network and the lunch we must talk about the lunch because the lunch. last year you collaborated <laughs> with MasterChef Ireland to to put on a really a really nutritious healthy tasty lunch that's very in keeping with the whole ethos of the mm-hmm. Western Prize Foundation I know it's a no-brainer, but obviously the food had to echo what we were talking about. And I know um, it was very important for us to get that right. But the food that was served was absolutely delicious and spot on. And it, like one of the foods was a lamb casserole, which was made with local organic lamb from Michael Seymour of Boris O'Kane, the Sheepwalk Farm, with the homemade broth. And it was just delicious. It was Uh, one of the highlights and people still talk about the meal and what are we going to have for the next meal so there was really no point in talking about all this good information and then having a really poor dinner or lunch so the ticket price includes the lunch and again a wonderful opportunity to network but we have wonderful food in Ireland and Limerick and why not showcase it in the perfect fora as such so I can't think of any complaints that we got last year offhand if they were complaining they weren't coming to me well, to do I don't, so. I've been to I don't know how many nutrition conferences in my life at this stage and the food just so just makes me cringe sometimes it it's, lets it's it just lets not in keeping with no. the theme at all and I'm delighted to say you know I, a good good few dozen of my colleagues went to the conference and hopefully will go again this year and they still talk about the meal it's amazing it's and like, it's whoa. it is a no-brainer you know I suppose this is where we need to go is we're we know the information, but it's putting it into practice. And really, an awful lot of people would have learned so much just by eating the meal because they w- they'd go, well, actually, this is delicious. This is not hardship. 
And then one of the messages we want to get away across is that, yes, it is. You know? And can we expect to see some Limerick producers products as part of please the god the yes i know you're <laughs> yes. keeping it a surprise if people <laughs> we're have to keeping turn it up a surprise but yeah i mean uh to find out but they will be very be happy our, with it yeah it would be our focus of course but um be as local as possible to sum up then uh, brandon who is the the conference aimed at who should be going to this conference that's a hard question to answer. Uh, there's a talk on pregnancy nutrition, and people will go for that alone. Um, there's a talk on heart disease, which is the biggest killer in the world. Um, it's impossible to answer it all around. It sounds maybe a bit bland to say everybody, but it kind of is everybody. Okay. Mm. And certainly, if you want to make a change in your diet, if you mm. want to become yeah. more healthy, yeah. look after your children, it, it's definitely worthwhile going along. And I would say um, maybe the type of person who may be frustrated with the current system and if they find maybe that they're not feeling well and they find that they're not getting better, but maybe the doctor is saying, well, you know what, this could be all in your head. Mm. Um, or maybe that their children, they're getting frustrated that their children are constantly sick. That's a, that's a, that. good, that's a good point, actually, because a lot of people who went last year just loved the fact that there was support there for what they were doing because they felt so alone and they realized they weren't and that there was science and there was people behind it and it made sense. That was... That's a good point, actually. Yeah. I just want to make a very quick point, Sharon, if I can, that we actually have uh, facilitated some free childcare places this year, which, uh, again, a lot of people brought small babies with them and they're more than welcome to, you know, we had plenty of breastfeeding mothers there, which was fantastic last year. But if people need, cannot come because they have childcare issues, if they book a place, we can give it to them for free. As part That's of the package. And I'm sure that means a lot yes, to a yes. lot and of people. Yes, yes. Now, they are booking up. I will strongly emphasise if you want to get on, get a place, please book in. And there are, uh, we have specially trained. It's the Last Minute Minders company from Limerick as well, keeping okay. it local. Okay, great. Well, the dates of the conference are the, the 6th and 7th of February. And all details and tickets can be found on the website wapfmonster, W-A-P-F, monster.com. Well, best of luck with it. I'm sure it'll be a resounding success like last year. I look forward to hearing all about it. And please, God, you'll be back in 12 months' time to talk about the third one. <laughs> Thanks, Sharon. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far in the show tonight, we've heard about the Wise Traditions Ireland Conference taking place next month in Tomond Park. Very interesting to talk to Anne and Brandon. And if you attend, I'd love to hear from you to find out what you think. Please drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie. If you missed any of the show so far, it will be up in the podcast later in the week. And you'll find the podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or you can subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. Next, it's time to find out how you can recognise your food heroes, chefs and restaurants by casting your vote in the 2016 Restaurant Awards. As on the line, I'm joined now by Chief Executive of the Restaurant Association of Ireland, Adrian Cummins. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleunter. Adrian, there's an election coming up, but you have something much more interesting for people to vote for at the moment. Yeah, we have the Irish Restaurant Awards is up in full swing at the moment. Uh, we're looking for the public to nominate our favourite restaurant, chef, casual dining premises, gastro hotel, restaurant across the country. And uh, we have a huge amount of votes coming in at the moment. 
Uh, people can check out our website, irishrestaurantawards.com, for full details. Uh, it's on a county-by-county county basis, uh, north and south. And uh, this year is our eighth year to have the awards. And uh, we've had huge uh, positivity right across the country at the moment. Are there a number of stages in the voting process? So you get the public's vote in first and then something else happens after that? That's correct. The first stage is where we get the public to nominate our favourite premises. And second stage then is to get the, uh, the judges in each of the regions to pick their, the best restaurant in each of the, each of the counties. And after that then, they all get mystery guest inspections, the county winners, who go on to the All-Ireland uh, Awards. And uh, what we've seen is that the feedback that the uh, uh, restaurants or the premises get is second to none. It's the mystery guest inspection, uh, and they can uh, judge their reports for themselves. But uh, we've had great uh, uh, feedback uh, from the industry so far. And then, instead of just an announcing the overall winners, you have these roadshows out and about around the country. That's correct. We have uh, regional ceremonies right around the country where we have uh, the announcements uh, made uh, uh, for the, each of the county winners. And then there's a whole process on top of that then where we have uh, our All-Ireland all all Ireland, uh, Judging Academy to sit down and go through all the county winners, uh, look, look and see uh, what's what the reports uh, the district gets inspections throw up and then they pick their uh, county winners uh, and all Ireland winners from that and then you have the, the gala dinner in is it in June that's held? That's right we have a gala uh, awards dinner in, in May of this year uh, where we have 900 people that attend us a huge event for the industry The feedback that you get then throughout the, the different the different stages of the, the judging process. Is any of that fed back to the restaurants? Yeah, we get a report back. Once the Windsor County stage, they got a mystery guest inspection, so they get a report, a detailed report back to, their, to, the, to the restaurant. So that is a very uh, in-depth, detailed report. Uh, it, uh, it goes through the, the ins and outs of their business, uh, from the customer service, the food on the place, to the premises itself. And it makes recommendations, but it also scores it out of 100 also. So that must be very useful for them moving forward to improve their customer service or their their menus and whatnot. It does, yeah. And the feedback that we've got from businesses is that it's very, very helpful for the, their business. Some people use the reports to improve their business for the following year. And by improving their business, they improve turnover. Now, I'm looking at the categories. There's 14 categories there. Do you find, whenever it comes to the public casting their vote, that there's some of those categories more popular than others? Um, I think we have a uh, popularity right across it. I, I wouldn't pick out one category ahead of another. But um, uh, the best restaurant in Ireland usually gets, the best chef usually gets the most amount of nominations, purely because of the name of it. Uh, but that doesn't say that the, the gastropubs and the casual dining and all those uh, are uh, lesser awards. They're all equal in our eyes. They're all part of the hospitality industry and all play a part uh, for the growth and, and development of, our, of the tourism products. There's a category there, the local food hero, which I think is a very special category. And it's a relatively new category, I believe. That's a new category and that's for uh, what we call as local, local uh, food uh, heroes those producers, artists and producers around the country, those that are involved in the food industry, and we recognise the, the best of the best 
in Ireland uh, as part of that category. And last year, I think Munster, it was Darina Allen. Connacht was Ronan Byrne and Ulster was Caroline from the Belfast Food Tours. So there, there's quite a diverse range of people there that can be nominated for that. Absolutely. And um, nobody is excluded from it. Anybody can be nominated for it. The judges will look at, you know, the, the big contribution. It's like a Hall of Fame for the Food the Hero Awards. Those that have given huge amounts to the industry, well-respected, well-recognised, and we reward them for that. Why should people feel that it is important to cast their vote and to support their local restaurateur in all the different categories there? Well, two things. Is, the first thing is that the, the restaurant, uh, they, the, the public can, uh, can uh, uh, win a prize. Uh, there's weekend breaks for, for over the next number of weeks for, uh, for those, uh, not, those that nominate for the awards. But also, uh, help your own local restaurant. If you want to support your own restaurant, here's a, here's a great way of doing so. That's what we, we're, we're advocating for, which is support your local restaurant in your local village or your town, those that, or those that you have visited over the last year that you believe is worth a mention or a vote uh, as part of these awards. Well, let's talk about the prizes, because they are fabulous prizes. The first one is a two-night stay in Viewmont Towns in County Longford and that's Gary O'Hanlon is the, is the chef there isn't he? That's correct yeah and then we have a two night stay in King Citric County Dublin Yeah all the prizes are excellent uh, they're all uh, blue book establishments uh, luxurious properties uh, well worth uh, voting to be in for the in for the prize uh, for those winners that get it and the last one there is Ardara Country House and County Dairy so as you say they're all blue book they are fabulous places to go and stay and you don't have to do very much to get there do you? No you just vote online irishrestaurantawards.com uh, I'll bring you to the to the awards website and then you're brought into the voting section also Alright well we'll keep an eye on how it's all going Adrian and talk to you later on in the year to find out who the winners are Thank you very much You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, Adrian Cummins explained why and how to vote in the 2016 Irish Restaurant Awards. And earlier in the programme, we heard about the Wise Traditions Ireland Conference taking place next month in Limerick's Tomond Park. If you're just tuning in, you can catch the full show later in the week on the podcast, which is on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. We're at the final interview of the evening and it's about wine. How bad, says you? But specifically about an event coming up next week in Dublin. It's a wine tasting to mark Australia Day, which is next week. And we're putting a call into Jean Smullen to find out more. Jean is a wine consultant, a wine journalist and an event organiser for the wine trade. So who better to ask? Cheers. Chin chin. Salud. Schleiter. Jean, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. And you're going to tell us all about the Australia Day tastings that are taking place in Dublin. That's right. Yeah, Wine Australia, who is the, uh, it's the body that represents most of the wineries in Australia. It's a marketing organisation that literally goes out and sells 
uh, Australian wine to the global market. So they have offices all over the world, um, but they're targeting Ireland and have been for a number of years because um, for at least the last 25 years, Australia has been the number one selling wine on the Irish market. We like our, our Sauvignon Blancs from various different regions in Australia, I'd say. Well, not so much Sauvignon Blanc. Um, Australia is much better known for grape varieties such as Shiraz and Chardonnay. They were the grape varieties. I mean, in the 1990s, you know, uh, Sh- uh, Australian Chardonnay was the most popular and fashionable grape variety on the market, much in the same way that Sauvignon is today. Sadly, it fell out of fashion. That's nothing to do with Australia. Just Chardonnay as a grape variety on a global basis fell out of fashion. But um, because people prefer the more acidic grape varieties and Sauvignon Blanc would be more uh, of an acidic grape variety. But Australian wines are still incredibly popular. Um, It's now, it's been knocked off its top perch by Chile in the last year. But literally between them, Australia and Chile account for almost 50% of all wines sold on the, on the Irish wine market. And we've got a, a wine market of just about 8.1 million cases per annum. And what would you attribute that to? Is it to do with taste? Is it price? Um, what's actually happened is that for the last, well, as long as I've been working in the trade, which is 25 years, um, since about 1995, I mean, when Australia first came on the Irish market, it was all about volume and value. And it was all sort of the more cheap and cheerful end of the market. And the one thing that Australian wine has is that it's very fruit forward. It's a warm climate, so you get lots of sunshine, which gives you ripe fruit. That tends to make the wine very flavorful with lots of ripe, juicy fruit flavors. And that really appealed to to the Irish consumer just at the time that wine was starting to take off in this market. Because back 20 years ago, we were probably selling less than 2 million cases per annum. Now the market has absolutely exploded in the last 20 years. And what the Irish consumer like, their preferential style of wine is fruit forward, juicy, fruity um, wine styles. And certainly Australia uh, produces that sort of wine. But what's actually happened in the last 20 years is that Australian wine has actually evolved and it's become much more premium and the quality has just improved dramatically. And because, obviously, they're making wines more carefully and better quality wines, naturally, the prices are increasing. So that's what we used to call entry-level wine um, really sort of came out of the, um, the equation in terms of where Australia is on the market. And now what's happening is they're still selling a lot of wine, but they're selling better quality wine. And to get the better quality, you have to go a bit higher in terms of how much you spend. However, we are at a disadvantage here in Ireland because there is quite a lot of tax on it. If you spend eight euro on a bottle of wine in Ireland, 59.6% of that is going to the government in tax, which only leaves you very little, less than 70 cents for the, the price of your bottle of wine. The reality is, and I hate to have to tell people, that if you want something decent, you really have to buy something in the price bracket of between 12 and 14 euro. That's where you're going to see your tax take remain static. Your VAT will obviously fluctuate depending on the, the price of the bottle, but you'll get much more wine for your buck at 14 euro than you will at 8 euro. The event that Wine Australia is holding is giving people an opportunity to try quite a number of different types of Australian wine that they may never have come across before. It is a fabulous event. There are so many. I mean, 
Once a year, the Australians go out on the road and they tour all around Europe selling their wines. They'll be in London, they'll be in Scandinavia, they'll be in Germany. And obviously, Ireland is a very important market for them. So this is a market they like to come to. They like to come and visit Ireland. And because there's obviously so many historical links between Ireland and Australia in terms of emigration, um, Ireland is very, very important to the, Irish, to the Australian producers, and even more so now with so many Irish now living in Australia. So on the 27th of January, that's Wednesday the 27th, um, in the RHA Gallery, that's the Royal Hibernian Gallery known as Gallagher Gallery, which is up there in Eli Place, just off Stephen's Green, We'll have 18 wineries coming over from Australia to show their wines. And the, the, in the afternoon, we'll have the trade coming along. And obviously, that'll be most of the restaurants and off-licenses coming to uh, taste the wine. But in the evening, there are consumer tickets available. And they're um, available online. Um, if you go to my website, jeansmullen.com, that's www.jeansmullen.com, there's a link there that you can buy the tickets and they're 15 euro each. But we have some super. We have McGuigan, which is one of the top selling wines on the Irish market coming over. We have Castella, which is people better know that as Yellowtail. Um, there's Yolumba, uh, Peter Lehman, one of the great characters of the Barossa Valley. Um, Darrenberg, that, that's a remarkable story with an Irish connection and we haven't enough time for me to tell you about it today. But um, uh, that is a super winery and, um, uh, you know, always worth They're lovely when they come to visit us. De Bortoli, Catnook, Penfold, which is probably one of the most famous fine wine, uh, Australian wines um, in the world. You know, all these wonderful wineries are coming to Ireland um, to show off their wine and obviously to sell them to the trade customers. But they really love meeting the Irish consumer and telling their story to them. And the consumer part is in the morning? Oh, no, that's in the evening. It it's in the evening. It starts at half past six and it runs from half past six to half past eight. And it's again on January 27th. So, so, so the, the wages will have all gone into the, into the account by that stage. So um, anybody who's interested in coming along, um, you know, for the price of a decent bottle of wine, 15 euro, you get to meet the people who actually make the wine itself and learn more about it. And obviously... You know, tastings like this, it's very, people are, we're very conscious of the responsible use of alcohol. There are spittoons there, and we'll have food there, so we'll be matching the wine with the food. So it's, it's a great way for anybody who is interested in wine and wants to learn a little bit more about how wine is made and what the Australian wine styles are. It's a great way for people to come along and meet the people who are actually on the ground, the farmers who are making these wines at the other side of the world. I want to ask you as well about the trade masterclass that you're holding in the morning. Yes. Now, uh, that has had an enormous response. And, um, you know, at the moment, actually, that is now almost uh, totally um, booked out. But we have um, a wonderful man called John MacDonald, who's from Ballyvaughan in County Clare, who basically put Australian wine on the map in Ireland. He worked for Wine Australia for 17 years. And John was just, and was and still is, one of the best-known people in the Irish wine trade. Um, he's so passionate about Australian wine. He worked in the industry down there. And um, he'll be giving a talk about um, the wines on display with Brian Walsh, who's a winemaker who used to work for a very famous winery called Yolumba. 
many years ago, but who now is very heavily involved with Wine Australia on their executive committee. So they're going to show the trade people who have been lucky enough to get a place premium wines um, and to talk about what's happening in Australia now and the future of Australian wines. And let me tell you, they are featuring some seriously good quality wines at those tastings. Wines that you know, maybe aren't available here, but that really show the quality that's happening in Australian winemaking at this point in time. I would imagine some restaurateurs can get a bit complacent with their wine list and maybe don't update it and change it as often as they should. How often would you recommend that they look at it and review it? Well, most restaurants would tend to vintages change every year. Obviously, a vintage is the year that the wine is actually produced. And normally in the trade, the rule of thumb is that twice a year they will change their list because the New World, as you know, is in the Southern Hemisphere. Their, their harvest will be taking place from about now, from about February, March. Um, so the 2016 harvest in the Southern Hemisphere will start fairly soon. The 2016 harvest in the Northern Hemisphere will start in September, October of this year. So what happens is that cyclical the the how the wine business works so vintages obviously run out i mean there's only so a finite amount of wine so every year or two you have to change your vintage and what tends to happen is that the the new harvest coming in from the old world um by that we mean france spain germany italy all of the european wine producing countries tend to introduce their new vintages in the spring of each year and then the um Oh, the New World, therefore, by that we need Australia, New Zealand, Chile, South Africa, Argentina. They all tend to introduce their um, new vintages towards the end of the year. So the restaurateurs do actually change their list quite often and on a regular basis. But they tend to, what they tend to do is, they, whilst they'll change vintages, once they find something that they know is selling well, they tend to be, yes, a little bit complacent and stick with the tried and tough, trusted. And a show like the one that we're having now, what we're trying to do is to introduce them to new styles, to new winemakers, and say, look, you know, if you want to offer a point of difference to your customer, if you want to make your wine list um, a, a good selling points for people to keep coming back to your restaurant, then we really think you should try these wines and put them on your list and see how they go. If, you know, basically it's about selling, and that, this is what events we, we're holding now on the 27th of January are all about. Are you a Sauvignon Blanc or a Chardonnay or a Shiraz person yourself? I love the wine in my glass. I always knew my <laughs> answer but to people who say, what's your favourite wine? The wine in my glass. Um, I, I love them all because obviously having worked in the wine trade for um, 25 years and I've got what we call a trained palate. I, I've been through all the Wine and Spirit Education Trust courses and through years and years of tasting practice and experience, you know, I would be very open to all styles of wine. So, you know, there isn't anything that I particularly say, oh, yes, that stands out as a favourite of mine. I just love trying new wine styles all the time. It's just a big adventure. Well, I was going to ask you, before I asked that question, what is your favourite Australian wine overall? But I said to myself, no, it wouldn't be fair to ask you that because you wouldn't be able to choose. That's why I went for the grape variety. But yeah, that it's, it is. It's, um, you know, but I've, I've been lucky enough to taste some... Um, Magnificent! I've I've had Penfold Grange. Um, I've had I've had Hill of Henschke. Um, I I met Peter Lehman himself before he sadly died a few years ago, 
and um, I've tried some of the fabulous the eight songs Shiraz with the man himself oh my god that must have been 15 years ago and he was one of the great characters of the wine trade a larger than life kind of gregarious character and his wines reflected the personality that he was so you know I think it's always the experience about not only what you have in your glass but who you're with at the time but as I say I just have been extremely and Bruce Tyrrell is another one from Hunter Valley he came to Dublin a couple of years ago and Hunter Valley Semillon is one of the classic wine styles and he um, organized a tasting of all the Semillons from the Hunter Valley and a group of us got together and tasted those and that was an incredible experience. So it's all about, you know, once you love wine and understand what it's about, it really, you know, every time you open a bottle, it is a new experience. Well, it's a great answer now. And the next time somebody asks me, what's your favourite wine, Sharon? I'm going to I'm going to steal that and say the wine that is in my glass. By all means. Jean, thank you so much for talking to me this evening. Uh, just remind the listeners there about the website to get more information about um, the Australia Day tastings. Are on the Wine Diary website, which is my website, Um The If you Google Wine Australia Dublin, um, the information should more than likely come up. The tasting is on the 27th of January in the uh, RHA Gallery in Eli Place and the consumer tasting runs from half past six till half past eight. And I should say that the Wine Diary section on your website is full of lots of different wine events taking place all over the country this year, including you're, you're going to be at Ballymaloo Lit Fest. Absolutely. Those, basically, the, the, those events, they're not events that I'm doing. They're events that everybody involved in the wine trade is organising. So what I do is my, my website is just a diary for the trade to give people a vehicle to tell everybody what's going on out there so that anybody who's interested in wine can just log on to it and say, oh, there's an event here in Cork I'd like to go to, or there's an event here in Galway I'd like to go to. So as you could see from the, the Wine Diary, they are countrywide. Some of them are trade, some of them are consumer, but there's something for everybody. And it's a fantastic resource, so it's, it's great to have all that information captured in the one place. Thank you very much, Sharon. Jean, great to talk to you. Have a lovely evening. And the same to you. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Before I wrap it up this evening, a shout out to Susan Boyle's A Wine Gustia show, which is on in Belfast on January the 29th as part of the Out to Lunch Festival. And the Out to Lunch Festival is on until the end of the month. Visit cqaf.com full programme details. Some fantastic shows on the lineup there. And having recently been in Belfast for the launch of Northern Ireland's Year of Food and Drink, 2016 is definitely a great year to plan and make a visit. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show, which will be on the podcast later in the week, soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe free of charge on iTunes or use the podcast app. No excuses. Thanks so much for tuning in and to guests Anne Maher, Brendan O'Brien, Adrian Commons and Jean Smullen. Until next week, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!